This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Slate Magazine, The Majority Report, The David Pakman Show, Citizen Radio, The Jimmy Dore Show, and The Rachel Maddow Show with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Young Turks. So the federal government almost shut down last week, and were Republicans just using Planned Parenthood as a bargaining chip to get Democrats to accept deeper budget cuts? Or is there something else going on here? And Hannah, can you explain the situation and tell us a little bit more about the wrangling that went on on Thursday and Friday? Yes, I fear we're going to be a little bit of groupthink on this issue because there's really only one way to see it. In fact, yes, the Republicans were using funding on Planned Parenthood to hold up the budget deal. Within this, I'm going to describe there are a couple of heroes in this situation, Republicans who said, look, wait, we really care about the budget. That's what we ran on this year, and that has to be our our priority, so we can't hold this up because of Planned Parenthood. It's not necessarily surprising. It's not the first time that Republicans have tried to slip in some sort of anti-abortion provision into a budget showdown. The reason that it got so much attention this year was twofold. One is because they they made such a big priority of tax cuts that it's sort of surprising that you would just kind of slip in the same culture war issues which you know are going to derail and take the focus off actual budget cutting. So number one, that's a little bit surprising and annoying. Okay, my and, question for you on that is: Do you think so? That's happened. Do you think that the public buys it? Do you, I have no sort of barometer of how the country is reacting to the fact that the federal government almost shut down and it is about this thing that is a complete this writer that is total BS basically. What, I mean, is it your sense that Repu- that people can see through what the Republicans are doing or do they think, you know, oh, they're just, you know, they're just trying to cut every cent and I support that. No, I don't think people think they're trying to cut every cent. I think people fully understand that these are culture war issues and then whether people, you know, support that or think it's a good idea to cut funding for Planned Parenthood is a completely different discussion. What was interesting to me about the way this played out is it was sort of routinized. It's like they were talking about abortion in the same kind of idiom and tone and mood that they were talking about budget cuts. Those Mm -hmm. two things sort of so should occupy different realms of the cultural imagination and that yet they didn't. It was like, we'll hold up your funding for this if you guys give us some money on abortion and oh let's compromise let's just let people of DC not have their funds for abortion as opposed <laughs> to the other state. How's that? That sounds like a good deal. It's weird like abortion is supposed to be an absolute. This is an issue of hypocrisy we come we run into all the time and yet it somehow sort of is on the trading table along with other these other kind of mundane or work a day or accounting matters. Now I also don't want to fall into this trap because this was not a debate about abortion. Planned Parenthood does not receive any federal funding for abortion. So I, I just want to put that out there so we're not repeating the same mistake that everybody makes. Exactly. And also so, John Kyle. Yes. <laughs> Nina, tell us a little bit about that Colbert Report video that um, has been making the web rounds. Oh, um, I, I just need to pause because I love I love the meme that it has spawned so much. Well, so John Kyle um, uh, last week had said that abortions are, quote-unquote, well over 90% of what Planned Parenthood does. And he was sort of swiftly, you know, shot down uh, on that figure. Um, It's about 3%. It's about 3%, right. So actually about 90%, well over 90% of what Planned Parenthood does is not abortion. And again, the federal government does not pay for abortions now at all. That's been true since the 70s, and the Republicans have really been successful in alighting contraception and abortion. Yeah, or that it's saying that if you give money to an organization that gives 
some other money to abortions that you are sort of indirectly, you know, implicated. Um, and so, so you know, lots of people, ju- lots of people jumped on Kyle for that for that erroneous statement, and he came back and said, um, you know, as I think I think this is from Dolly Olithwick's piece, you know, one of the great all-time clarifications, saying that his remark was, quote-unquote, not intended to be a factual statement. And Stephen Colbert uh, really ran with that idea. Over 90 percent. That is unbelievable in that it is not true. <laughs> because only 3 percent of what Planned Parenthood does is abortions. Kyle just rounded up to the nearest 90. Besides, when this 87% discrepancy was pointed out, Kyle's office immediately released the following statement to CNN. And uh, it ha- I, you know what, I just want to give it to you verbatim here. It says his remark was not intended to be a factual statement. See? It was not intended to be a factual statement. You can't call him out for being wrong when he never intended to be right. I gotta say, I mean, that is an amazingly liberating defense. Now I can say things like, John Kyle has a vestigial tail, and it's not where you think it would be. There's a reason he never wears a tank top. Note, that was not intended to be a factual statement. And then starting this truly fantastic Twitter meme um, call with the hashtag not intended to be a factual statement in which he <laughs> shares all kinds of, uh, you know, facts about John Kyle. Uh, let me find those in my notes. But, um, you know, one of my favorites, uh, John Kyle once ate a badger he hit with his car. Hashtag not intended to be a factual statement. Uh, for the past 10 years, John Kyle has been two children in a very convincing John Kyle suit. Hashtag not intended to be a factual statement. Um, John Kyle has a shrine to Scooter from The Muppet Show. Hashtag not intended to be a factual statement. So, so it has spawned this sort of great uh, internet comedy meme that I have, uh, that I continue to gain a lot of pleasure from. Well, I feel like sort of absurdism is the only way to approach what's going on because it just seems that nothing anyone says will deter, you know, this group of Republicans, including Boehner and, and whoever, mm-hmm. from using this to hold up sort of, and, and, and sort of, Hannah, what's your sense going forward is, you know, I, there's a weak extension. Is it, is it, are they going to drop this? Yes, I don't think it's actually going to be held up. I don't think they're going to end up cutting funding for Planned Parenthood. You know, Planned Parenthood is absolutely correct. They're they're not treated any differently than a hospital, let's say. They are refunded for services that they provide to women. One thing that depresses me about watching this, actually two things. One is that last time we had a discussion similar to this about federal funding for abortion, we got a bunch of emails and also on our Facebook page from listeners from other countries saying, like, you guys are so pathetic. Like, why do you even give up on that issue? So that depressed me that we already completely assume that there's just no way there will ever, ever be federal funding for abortion. And the second thing is that when I listen to the you know the representatives of Planned Parenthood talk on the radio, they basically have to back away from the position that they are a really important abortion provider because mm-hmm. that's something you just can't talk about or say. And that's depressing, right? They have to keep saying, oh, we just provide health services for women, birth control for women. Now, that is primarily what they do. That's 97% of what they do. But they're also an abortion provider in in places where it's very difficult and in a situation in which it's more difficult to be an abortion provider. And yet we're not allowed to sort of embrace them or... But what's so crazy about it, too, is that it's it's so not what the American public wants, that they keep (laughs) saying over and over again, it's only a minority, it's 20% who said abortions should 
not be permitted, according to a poll that was taken by New York Times CBS News. So it's like a very small minority who doesn't want a Planned Parenthood to, to give abortions. I mean, I know yeah, the funding I mean, thing right, this, is different. Is, the funding thing is different and, and contentious, and that Republicans and, and even pro-choice Republicans, you know, many think that it shouldn't be funded by the government or anyone. But still, I mean, just the fact that it has is somehow again sort of a dirty, dirty word is just. So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoy this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55, a year, a little discount for you. Please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. How to behave like human. Oh, oh. So I go on uh, Radigan yesterday. And, you know, David Stockman, former uh, budget director for the Reagan administration, he's talking to me in the green room. He's not talking to me. He's talking to Jonathan Alter, but I just sat right there, pretended like I was looking at my, uh, my iPhone. I mean, he was sort of, I mean, I introduced myself, but I was pretending like I wasn't listening because, you know, I, I'm like at the kids' table. Jonathan Alter, uh, Jonathan Alter was nice. We didn't get into an argument this time. He, he's a perfectly nice guy, and he didn't say anything that, you know, how old are you? Uh, but Stockman was there, and Stockman was saying, like, these Republicans, they're like, they're relig- they're, they're like, they have a religious fervor about tax cutting. They have no idea what's going on. It's a joke. It's a joke. They're a joke. And he said some of this on the show, too, So, and I'm sure he would have said more. He, he's saying it all publicly. But he's like, PIMCO. PIMCO. PIMCO is shorting treasury bonds. And this is it, man. This is it. He's talking months. Now, what happens, and so I said, well, so they're shorting treasury bonds, but where are they going to put their money? Well, commodities and this and that. Uh, we're going to get inflation and uh, the Fed after the uh, QE2. This is the quantitative easing. You know, because the Fed's been buying up some of these treasury bonds, essentially. What they do is they lend money at a very uh, low re- rate, and then people turn around and they buy treasury bonds with it. That's the way they make money. It's the easiest uh, scam in the world. And essentially what is, what's going on is the Fed is buying Treasury bonds to maintain their value, uh, which also means that lower interest rates on these things. So he says they're going to stop, which I don't believe that they're going to stop. They're going to keep doing it in one form or another. They'll find some way, whether they announce it publicly or not. And he says, uh, and then uh, nobody's going to buy the Treasury. Uh, you know, nobody's going to buy the Treasury bonds. But I said, well, where, where are people going to park their money where they know they can get, they, they, it can be safe? And he said, well, commodities, they'll get into more speculative things. And then I said, well, but I don't understand what the problem is. Well, to sell Treasury bonds, they're going to have to increase rates, interest rates, and then we're going to get massive inflation. Now, here's the question I didn't get to ask him Radigan, because by the time it got to me, uh, it was like uh, I, I first started with what's more important, jobs or, or this? And he's like, this, this. The dirty little secret they don't tell you about is that inflation is not bad for most of us. 
obviously 10, 12 percent uh, inflation, bad. But we're already seeing the two things that most people pay for inflated, food and fuel. And so if you get inflation on other assets, what you're going to start to see is that it's going to be you're going to get more money to save. Your mortgage payments are going to be easier to make. Inflation hurts lenders. Who are lenders? They are the banks. Uh, they are uh, bondholders. Even though in this instance they're borrowing money from the U.S. government, the value of their bonds as they trade them goes down because the interest rates go up on them. And they're out loaning money all over the place. Because a lot of those institutional bondholders tend to be banks. So this is really more of protect the wealthy's money. And, uh, and not only is that the dynamic, there is no evidence that PIMCO shorting bonds, because they anticipate in in inflation going up a little bit, but if they make one or two percentage points on this stuff, it's definitely worth it. So uh, Washington Post reports there's one surprising group of people who's not terribly worried about the budget brinksmanship in Washington. Investors who lend the U.S. government billions of dollars. Now, according to Stockman, when inflation goes rampant, people are going to divest themselves of the dollars. And I'm like, well, what are they going to put their money into? Gold? You know, these major institutional uh, investors, they don't buy reams and reams, or I don't know what it is blocks and blocks of gold. The, the, the only other choice they have is to go into another currency. What currency are they going to go into? What currency? The yuan? They're not going to be able to do that overnight. They're not going to get the rest of the world to spend money in the yuans. The euro? Are you kidding me? So all of this is really just about protecting uh, the wealthy. Just keep that in mind. When you hear all this screaming about the debt and the deficit, it's the, the fear is that it's going to diminish the value of money for people who have a lot of money. Most people in this country, the vast majority of people, do not have money. It's not going to lose value because they don't have it. That's what they're doing. In the meantime, there's not even any indication that this PIMCO thing has anything to do with it. The U.S. government was able to borrow money for the decade at 3.5% on Monday. That's a 10-year Treasury bond. Uh, up from 3.4% a week earlier, but below February levels. In other words, there's no run there's no running away from Treasury. They don't have to raise the interest rates enormously to attract these, uh, these loans. PIMCO, the largest bond investor, disclosed over the weekend that its $236 billion total return fund now holds negative 3% of its assets in Treasuries, meaning it would actually make money if Treasury bonds decline in value. They decline in value, they raise their interest rates. Unless entitlements are not substantially reformed, the U.S. will likely default on its debt, Gross said in an April report. Not in conventional ways, but via inflation. 
currency devaluation and low to negative real interest rates. In other words, well, it's not going to default the way that Glenn Beck tells you it will, and you have to use uh, heritage seeds and freeze-dried food and uh, golden uh, bullion. Uh, and, and trade with your neighbor, you know, he, I've got, uh, I've got some gas for that cow. No, what he's saying is, but via inflation. In other words, there's going to be less value in those loans that you've made. Currency is going to uh, be devalued. Yeah, that means that it's going to be more work for Americans as they export stuff to other countries because their uh, exports are going to be cheaper. Low to negative real interest rates. In other words, you're going to lose value on your loans. The bottom line is, folks, this is rich people screaming about the chance that they may lose some of their capital and trying to make it seem like it's everybody's problem. Prices in the bond markets, the low levels of return that investors are willing to accept suggest that investors broadly are not buying Gross's thesis for now. And finally, let me end with this. Ezra Klein has a uh, post up showing a graph from the Congressional Budget Office in September showing that if we do nothing about the deficit and the debt, the budget comes into roughly into balance over the course of the next 70 years. In other words, in about 70 years, we can start to run surpluses. The nothing in this instance means you need to do three things. One, all the Bush tax cuts expire, as they're currently, currently scheduled to do. In other words, go back to pre-Bush tax, uh, taxation levels. Frankly, I think we should go further than that, but be that as it may. The Medicare doc fix is either implemented or its repeal is paid for over the next 70 years. In other words, uh, the $300 billion that uh, doctors are not receiving for... Uh, their payments from uh, Medicare, fix that so they don't have to push, uh, inefficiently push those expenses onto the rest of us. And the Affordable Care Act is implemented and all of its spending targets are met and all of its taxes collected. That's it, folks. You can do nothing. But instead, we're going to see this as an ideological way to cut things like Social Security, things they've been wanting to do forever. Forever. If we continue to run these deficits at these levels, we will face a fiscal emergency in this country, where instead of by design, we get to reshape our spending priorities, it's by disaster. And specifically, I'm talking, it's a bond market disaster. All of a sudden, somebody steps away from the Treasury auctions, interest rates shoot up, we can't control it. Next thing you know, we have short-term rates of 5, 6, 7, 8, 10%, and 
it's just it's off into the ether at that point. So many times we hear uh, many progressives point out and say this obsession that we are seeing from the right, from groups like the Tea Party, the Tea Party Caucus, so on and so forth, about the deficit uh, as an excuse or as as the the reason why we can't spend money on whatever, yeah. fill in the blank. A lot of times progressives will say that's not really an issue. That's not really actually going to. Uh, stop the country from running. There's plenty of things that could. And even if you believe that, well, maybe we don't need 50 military bases in Germany. Maybe 40 would keep us safe, and that would make a much bigger difference in the budget than a couple of billion to, to NPR, for example. But my, m the question I want to get back to is, why will it actually be such a problem for the day-to-day, -day, you know, for Lewis, for Natan, for me, day-to-day, -day, if we continue to run these deficits, it, when many... On many more progressive economists are saying we need to be spending, the deficit is not the number one priority, we need to be creating jobs, which, by the way, John Boehner said was his priority, not acting on it. Mm -hmm. Day to day, why, is it, why will it affect us? So I, I completely disagree with anybody, conservative or liberal, who says that our deficits aren't a problem, that, that this is a necessary level of stimulus we have to spend. When you look at how our budget's constructed right now, how much of this is mandatory? We think of stimulus spending as it's rather discretionary, right? We're going to ramp it up during emergencies and dial it back down when the emergency passes. Sure. But most of our spending now, the lion's share is mandatory. That's the stuff we have to talk about. Mandatory in what sense? Mandatory meaning that it, it's, it's on autopilot, that money's going to go out the door, whether or not Congress decides to appropriate any money or pass anything or anything, right? It's just it's mandatory spending. So interest on the national debt. You don't pay it, you default on your bonds, things go haywire in a hurry. So that's kind of mandatory. And it's interesting you mentioned that, because when we saw the Obama administration, and I know I get criticized for because we're a progressive show, and sometimes I criticize the president very often recently, but the reality is when we heard the talking points about the latest Obama budget, we heard this does not add to the deficit. It wasn't even including the interest payments that we have no choice about making. That's there. Those are there. Is that disingenuous? You're mentioning it as a key point in this discussion when many of the White House staffers were using talking points that completely disregarded that interest. What do you think? There's so much smoke and mirrors in the budget. Um, kabuki theater, as it right. happens. Every administration. Listen, we're, we're in the middle of a status quo D.C. This is how it operates. And what I'm worried about, my chief concern, is that D.C. is going to continue to do what it does which is they'll have partisan battles over relatively minuscule things while they kick the can down the road. Eventually, the future arrives, and my supposition is the future's here. We are this close to having a full-on fiscal emergency. The IMF is warning us about our deficit levels. We have the highest level of deficit now of any nation, any advanced nation, in terms of deficit compared to GDP. We're worse than Greece. We're worse than Ireland. We're worse than Portugal. I mean, this is, this is not stellar company. And yes, we're the United States, so we get a little extra leeway, but here's the thing. If and when the world revolts against that, our standard of living here in this country, our, our opportunities change literally overnight. But how this will it happen? I mean, tell, what's, so in other words, we wake up one day, what led, what door have we walked through that we can't walk back from? Or how does it, what will happen? What happens is, is right now about half of all bonds that are sold at the government level, this is sovereign debt, U.S. Treasury bonds, are bought by foreigners. So foreigners go on strike and they say, we're, we're all done with that. Now, who's going to buy those? Well, if we can't find enough buyers, the way you find more buyers is you keep raising the interest rate until somebody gets interested. Like for me, right now, they're offering, what, 1.5% on a two-year bond? I'm not interested. 
10%, I'm interested. Well, now think about if our government has to start offering 10, 11, 12, 13, 14%. All of a sudden, debt payments, the interest portion on the debt payment suddenly goes from maybe 3% of GDP to 5 to 10. All of a sudden, it consumes all of your budget. Next but thing you know, that, you get in that, that spot. Really, I get the, I, conceptually, I get it. It's a spiral. But would it really? I think that may, there would probably be some kind of deal made behind the scenes at two, three, four percent. I mean, would it really? What would it really take to get up to where ten percent is where it needs to be in order to get people interested and the spiral takes place? Well, it, in the story of Greece, we found out it takes about two months. It's okay. really, really rapid when you get that dynamic started. It doesn't take much for it to get started. Once it does, it, it's over very rapidly. And in my work, I have opportunities to hang out with and talk with people from Wall Street, and I've been shocked at what some of these people have been telling me. They're saying, yes, we're dancing while there's still music, they're trading bonds, they're doing fixed income deals, but they're also saying, this is starting to look really bad. And, and I had one trader, and this shocked me to my core, he said, if Ben Bernanke does QE3, that means quantitative easing, third program at the end of June, fires up another one. He says, that's it, I'm all done with fiat money as a concept. Hmm. Really? By the time the people who are that deeply embedded in the system are using words like that, it tells you we're pretty far along in this narrative of decay around the dollar. That's what we're risking here. We're risking not just our way of life, but the dollar. That's an enormous thing to, to, to play any sort of a game with. And to bring it all back, that's what we're risking in our gamesmanship. Is it $30 billion? Is it $60 billion? I don't care. I care that what we're really doing is we're risking literally the foundation of our country, the dollar itself. It's that serious. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. They, they reached an agreement, which means the Democrats uh, caved and uh, accepted $38 billion in additional cuts, which, mind you, uh, is in addition to the cuts they had already agreed upon yep. uh, prior to, to this negotiation. I believe the Democrats negotiating went like this. We mm -hmm. will give you $32 million in cuts which is a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, well, we don't know. And they were like, we'll give you 38. It's like Homer Simpson negotiating. By the way, that's B, a billion with a billion. B. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so there's already been tremendous cuts. You've probably felt a lot of the cuts in your own communities with the, the police, the firefighters, the teachers, uh, student tuition going up. So get ready for even more. Now, what's really worrying is in the New York Times, this paragraph. Republicans have also signaled that they will again demand fundamental changes in policy on, are you ready? Mm -hmm. Health care, the environment, abortion rights, and more. <laughs> uh. So 
get ready because if anybody thinks that the Republicans are going to be in any way reasonable and meet the Democrats halfway on anything, yeah, they won't be happy until the APA is gone, until Roe v. Wade is overturned. Uh, they're really swinging for the fences because now that the Democrats have proven they have no ideology they're willing to defend. Yeah, and... You know, one of the things Allison said is definitely happening where Paul Ryan, who is being made to be a crazy kook, although some of the serious people admire his courage. Paul Ryan, the Republican, who... Jeb Bush signed on to the plan. Yeah. Who, by the way, is supposed to be the sane Bush. He was the one who was supposed to be president. Correct. People like Joe Scarborough and other very serious people. Andrew Sullivan. Yeah. They they love Jeb. He's he's a good man. He's got his head on his shoulders, Mm -hmm. right? Some people still want him to run for president, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, you know, they wanted to completely uh, get rid of Medicare and, uh, and Medicaid and Medicaid mm-hmm. and get social security. And everyone's like, well, that's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. But they set the bar so high because that's how you fucking negotiate. Yeah. When you set the goalposts that far down the field, then anything that's not that crazy looks very reasonable by comparison. So, Absolutely. When, so when the Republicans say, hey, can we get $38 billion in addition to the, the billions of dollars we've already cut? Well, you're not asking what Paul Ryan wants. So sure. And the Democrats never counter it with uh, a measure to say uh, no cuts to programs that help the elderly or poor. And we're going to raise taxes on the upper 0.5%. Well, even though a majority of Americans want that. Well, it was the same with the public option. I mean, this is how Barack Obama and the Democrats and Barack Obama's administration, this is how they negotiate, where you don't even put the public option on the table. Right. You don't even put single payer on the table. So where do you go from there? If you put single payer on the table, maybe we could have gotten a public option. If you right. put the public option on the table, maybe we could have gotten a health care plan that wasn't a complete giveaway yeah. to the special interest. And why do they never do that? Because there's no poor uh, representative in Congress. They no longer represent the majority of Americans. The Democrats who used to represent liberalism. Uh, now represent the corporate interests, and we don't have Goldman Sachs money. We don't have ExxonMobil money. Yeah. So of course they don't propose anything that, again, an overwhelmingly an overwhelming majority of Americans want taxes on the uber wealthy raised. They do not want cuts to Social Security or Medicare. Yeah. Jamie, I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted. Why's that? Um, because Dangles is. Uh- Flat is a fucking pancake on the couch. Look, before I left Burlington, for anyone who doesn't know, Dangles is our neoconservative, homicidal, Amazonian punchy monkey, also failed business entrepreneur. The informal mascot of Citizen Radio. He has turned to take down the show from the inside, but he's adorable, so we can't get rid of him. He's really cute. Um, I kicked him before I left in Burlington. You like roundhoused him. I know. Uh, but that's not You're why I'm being laughing. Very hateful and homophobic. After you left, I like passed out on the couch because again, sugar coma. Yeah. Uh, and I was laying on him. What? Uh, and my feet were just crushing the shit out of him. What? Did he know that? And I think. Oh, oh, oh he's starting to wake up. Oh. He's oh shit. Oh Dangles. shit. Dangles. Okay, calm down. So, oh. Calm, oh, oh. Oh. He has Allison. Oh God. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Just okay. Be cool. Be cool, man. Be cool. All right. I know I know how to fix this. Could I you, know how to fix this. Jamie, da- Daniels you, right now has a kitchen knife to Allison's throat. Could you help me out here, please? Right, I'm going to call in uh, the best negotiator right now. Who? I'm going to call uh, President Barack Obama. No, 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 no. It'll be fine. Jamie, Jamie, I'm gonna get my Jamie CV. anybody else. Hold on. Anybody I'm else. Call Obama. Jamie? Barack Obama. 
Hello, this is Barack Obama. Oh, fuck. Chief negotiator. Hi, President Obama. I have a little bit of a situation over here. I was hoping you could help me out. What is the situation? I, little... I will negotiate out of this. Right. I went to Harvard. Okay. I have a little punching Amazonian monkey here who's super pissed off, and he's got a kitchen knife pressed to my throat. I, he has some demands that he's whispering to me. I got it. All right. Uh, he wants uh, respect. Okay. I can cut you off right there. Okay. Little monkey, I will give you respect and I will overturn Roe v. Wade. What? Give you one helicopter. No, no, no. A trillion dollars. Don't do that. And bomb Yemen. There, see, don't do It's just going to make him stronger. And now he knows that you're totally... Oh, all right. All right. He's whispering to me again. Okay. He, he wants a harem of willing women. <laughs> he says, uh, all right, I, I'm listening. I'm, calm down. I'm listening. Okay. All right. All right, uh, he, wait, five wait. harem of uh, willing women. See, you he, will get you will get sixteen. You're just exciting them. You're harem just, of willing women. Because now he knows he can get. All right, hold all right, on. fine. A hundred willing. Shut up, Barry. All right, he's saying. All right, he's saying he wants a mountain of cocaine. I don't even know what kind of metric system that is. A mountain of cocaine. You will get a Mount Rushmore size oh, pile of cocaine. God. Damn it. I have extended tax cuts for the rich until 2025. Stop. Stop. Just stop talking. All right. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. All right. He wants your dog and he wants Joe Biden. You have Joe Biden and his family, and I have Why? I have ordered the execution of one Dennis Kucinich. Holy shit. Little monkey, Dennis Kucinich is no more. Little monkey, let her go. I, all right, uh, all right, all right. I, have, I have ordered the execution of one Bernie Sanders. Oh, my God. All Bernie right. Sanders is dead. Take the White House. You can have Michelle. Stop. I, wait. I, all right. Actually, now he's pretty happy. All right. <laughs> All right, he's uh, put down the knife. All right, I ha- I have actually- to I have to go. There is a armed robbery down the street. Sick. <laughs> well, wow. I, I I have to admit I I'm free now, but I feel like Barack Obama may have just facilitated the the destruction of the planet well, and the murder <laughs> and the murder of several people. And I think he sold his wife. Yeah, I'm pretty sure too. Dangles also that- ran out of here. Very excited. For the Mount Rushmore sized pile of cocaine. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Wow. But don't play with me because you're playing with fire. The old man took her diamonds and tiaras. By the score, now she gets her kicks in Stepney, not in Knightsbridge anymore. So don't play with me, cause you're playing with fire. Uh, how about uh, President Barack Obama? is uh, looking to compromise because he didn't want to shut down the government. And here's, uh, here's what he had to say at a press conference earlier this week. I think what the American people expect from me is... I'll tell you what we expect from you. We, <laughs> what we've come to expect from you right now is that you're going to roll over to the corporate concerns and you're going to be a lackey. Right? The same thing that they expect from every member of Congress, and that is the... No, I want, I no. Want to, 
Go ahead. I, I want to know why he's doing this from a Who concert. <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of my clips off of Morning Joe, and they oh. play betting music. Okay. He just hired um, Baba O'Reilly to his cabinet. So. <laughs> Who? It's a who that's reference. the name of the song. Oh, the you know me, I'm ignorant when it comes to the kids' music. <laughs> wow. That's what... Looking out for the interests of the American people. Oh, that's what he's doing. He's looking out for the... I didn't know that's what he was doing. He was looking out for the interests of the American people. Now, here's... He goes on to say that in the, these are tough economic times, and... Uh, and that is, is that we act like grown-ups. Yeah, we got to act like grown-ups, right? Mm -hmm. We all got to act like grown-ups. And uh, when we are in negotiations like this that everybody gives a little bit, compromises a little bit, in order to do the people's business. Yeah, like uh, he's going to compromise and keep giving tax cuts to the wealthiest people and corporations, and then their other side is going to compromise by cutting Medicare and Social Security for people. Mm -hmm. That's their mm -hmm. compromise, right? Yeah. Well, we are behaving like adults in the sense that uh, no one under 50 owns that Who album. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was kind of an ironic juxtaposition that uh, that he was talking. Yeah, they're playing the Who underneath, which is the you know a sign of rebellion. As from my youth, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And he's telling us to be grown ups. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I was never a big uh, Who fan, though. They're great, though. Oh, I'm sure. Great. Robert Daltrey, quite an actor. Have we, have we talked about that John Steinbeck uh, quote uh, talking about how? Um, when the depression was was happening, how oh that thing. how how people were were voting against their own economic uh, self interests. No, and Steinbeck said that America is filled with people who are don't see themselves as poor, but see themselves as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. <laughs> oh, that's which I thought true. just nailed it right on the head. Oh. It's just people. Well, it's 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 a combination, Paul. I think of that. And and that it, for whatever reason, we've talked about this, about why people get angry at other working class people when they actually have a good deal, mm -hmm. like when they can actually have benefits and they can retire at a decent age and uh, live like a good life. People And people who don't have that, working people who don't have that, instead of saying, why can't I get that? They go, he shouldn't have that. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It's the opposite. It's like, well, no, no, we can have it. It's because it's been ingrained into their brain from the corporate media that things are tough. Well, we, that the other guy who has a couple of benefits, he's the one that's taking things away yes. from you, not the corporate not people the corporate, who right. have huge tax breaks. And, right, and, and keep uh, outsourcing your jobs and right. the race to the bottom. Yeah, that, so that's, and you know, the weird thing, it's like we all have to take a haircut. That's what Barack Obama says. But I don't mm. know if you remember, in January. We're in, bald. In <laughs> We're bald, Jimmy. In, They've got long, flowing hair. <laughs> yes, I know. I, and I'm, I'm bald all over. I look like a 12-year-old. Yeah, yeah corporate not, America looks like Fabio at this mm -hmm. point. They're looking fine. I like, I'm really liking our metaphor, by the way. This is <laughs> I like extending it's luxurious. It. This is nice. It glistens in the sun. I'll tell two friends, and then yeah. you can tell two friends, and so on, and <laughs> wow. so on. And speaking of 30-year-old references. Brought in, uh, <laughs> he brought in as a consultant uh, for that fantastic Sam. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so here's, but here's what Barack Obama said just a few months ago. The stock market has come roaring back. Corporate profits are up. The economy is growing again. So we all have to take a haircut. That doesn't. Mm. It, it, those two statements aren't. Those are incongruent, right? Mm. The, I can't reconcile 
those two things. Everybody has to take a haircut, and the stock market is booming again, and corporate profits are up. We Everyone has to take a, a haircut. Meanwhile, uh, corporate CEOs look like ZZ Top. <laughs> right. Oh, this is going great yeah. today. <laughs> so we, corporate profits are up. How about we get more money from corporations? How about how about that? Yes. How about we stop letting well, them that's the, the hide whole, their profits overseas? They're not, you know, uh, all of the Republicans giving these gigantic tax breaks is based on if we give them tax breaks, They'll stimulate the economy, right. but it's now a fact that there's that all these Wall Street people have all this money and they're not spending it all. They're not investing it in the no, country. They're not, not putting it, it into in the China, economy. That's where the best yes. bet is. You You're know. Right. So I mean, that whole theory has been has been discredited many right. times over. And that's yet. the thing they're basing their their model on the the Reaganomics model of 1980 before we were an international world. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. before. Uh, you take investment money and just take it overseas, and and, the, and now they now they're taking the money and, and investing it in China because China is a rigged economy. And if you don't know what I mean, people, I people, whenever time I say that on the show, somebody emails me to say you're wrong about that and blah blah blah. It's it's a it's a rigged economy for a lot of reasons. The big reasons are they don't have any environmental laws or worker or worker protections like we have here. Mm-hmm. Okay, a lot of the the government invests in their own businesses. If you want to open a business there, the government makes you partner with one of their businesses. It's a rigged economy. To give you an idea of how rigged it is, they've been consulting with the producers of Last Comic Standing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, Frank Conniff, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Hey, I got a uh, phone call. Barack Obama called me. Jimmy, this is Barack Obama. I would like to take this opportunity to address the criticisms of my handling of this impending government shutdown. We need to arrive at a compromise here. And like I said yesterday, we need to start acting like grown-ups, adults. Grown-ass men. We put away childish things like principles, ideals, and convictions. A grown-up lets the opponent frame the debate. Grown-ups do what corporations tell them to do. That's a very adult thing. Now, I've been criticized on the left by folks who just don't want to grow up. I hear, you know, Dennis Kucinich sitting there, sucking his thumb, telling us that the workers should come first, like a child. Bernie Sanders, more like Bernie Sandbox, (laughs) another big baby. Now, just imagine if Martin Luther King had more of the spirit of compromise about civil rights. He might just be alive today. (laughs) Well, come on, Jimmy. Nothing and nobody are perfect. We need to meet the Republicans halfway. You know, in the middle of the other side. (laughs) Everybody knows the best way to build a bridge is to start from both ends, and we're just building our end a little further, which means that we'll be able to keep the government open and that in the future your grandma won't be able to see a doctor every time she wants. That way, everyone wins. So hit me up. I'll be on Scott Blader's. Okay, that was... uh, Oh, my God, that was brilliant. That was Barack Obama letting us know how he feels for real. One before the soulmate dreamers One before the wicked man One before the peaceful protest That keeps the war in demand Who knows if I'll see you again 
So, Jamie. Yeah, buddy. I wanted to talk about the speech that Barack Obama gave about the deficit because I don't want to give it too much attention because I feel like everybody, that's all we pay attention to and we never focus on the follow-up. Like, so what did he actually do? Nothing. Yeah. Uh, but there was some encouraging rhetoric this time around. Yeah. Um, Obama kind of embraced the class war thing. Yeah. Um, sort of laid down the line. Said that he would support higher taxes on the wealthy. Said, called Ryan's plan a complete joke. He said it's unserious. It it won't reduce the deficit. I feel like right after he said that, someone should have jumped on stage, tackled him, and just put like a cloth in his mouth <laughs> to shut him up before he takes it back or is like, but we're going to do nothing about it. That's my concern, of course, because it's Barack Obama, because these are the Democrats, that it was pretty rhetoric. It's always pretty rhetoric with Obama. I'm not optimistic because Barack Obama has never given us a reason to be optimistic. So we'll see what happens. But I actually wanted to follow up on something we did the other day. Uh, We performed a skit uh, of Barack Obama as a terrorist negotiator. Oh, yeah. That got a lot of uh, fan mail. It was a lot of fun. But Glenn Greenwald wrote an article today that I thought was a nice addendum because obviously... It's not as funny as ours. Jamie and I don't believe that Barack Obama is just a poor negotiator. We think he's a brilliant guy. He's surrounded by a a team that's very savvy about Washington's ways. And they could figure out how to actually negotiate with the Republicans. The problem, as Glenn Greenwald points out, is there's a lack of motivation because the Democrats need to raise a billion dollars for Obama Hmm. for the re-election campaign so where are they going to get a billion dollars from well the corporations so barack obama has zero motivation to help poor people because poor people aren't going to contribute to his campaign if they do it's their adorable five dollar donations that don't do anything so i mean we saw it with healthcare. he couldn't risk pissing off the private healthcare industry right and we see it with everything you know wall street he can't risk pissing off goldman sachs because he needs their money so then when they leave the negotiation table, people, you know, big left-wing pundits say stuff like, oh, the Democrats just don't know how to negotiate. They do know how to negotiate, but for corporations, for the benefit of corporations. They're very not, good at that, in fact. Yeah, not for the benefit of the American people. third step in our approach is to further reduce health care spending in our budget. Now here, the difference uh, with the House Republican plan could not be clear. Their plan essentially lowers the government's health care bills by asking seniors and poor families to pay them instead. Our approach lowers the government's health care bills by reducing the cost of health care itself. He could not have sounded more genial and professorial when he said it. It could not have sounded any less blunt 
But the point he was making there was both blunt and confrontational and important and it needed to be said. And that's what this speech was like today. Whether or not you saw the president's speech, my advice to you is to read it um, at some point. It's not very long. It only prints out to eight or nine pages long. But you can print it out. You can actually print it out from our website tonight. We've posted it at mattoblog.msnbc.com. We've got the full text of it there. If you did not see the speech and your first contact with it is, is going to be reading it, you will think when you're reading it that when he gave this speech, he must have been breathing fire and pounding the podium. Nothing could be further from the truth. He was utterly sedate. It looked like a rotary luncheon address. But the message here was less rotary and more roundhouse. That point about the Republicans' plan for making health care cheaper by making old people and poor people and disabled people just pay more for it? That is a blunt confrontational point, and it is a good point. The president's next point on that was that the whole point of health reform is to bring down the cost of health care. Republicans, of course, are still attacking that, even as they have no plan of their own on health care costs. That is a good point that is both true and has been sorely missing from all of the political complaints about health reform. The president also made the point today that the Paul Ryan proposal to privatize Medicare kills Medicare that intrinsic to the whole idea of Medicare is that it is an entitlement, that it exists as a safety net, that everybody can depend on it. Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid are entitlements for a reason, and by the way, they work. That was a good point from the president today, and one that has been missing from the debate over budgets and deficits. Amid the nonsense, arithmetic-free rhetoric about deficits and debt, the president made the point today that historically, you know, it makes sense to run deficits when the country is at war or when the country is in a recession, but that when you are not at war or in a recession, you should aim to get back in balance. In other words, deficits themselves are not evil. They have a purpose. They should be used strategically. That, again, is a good point and one that has been sorely missing from the debate about deficits and debt and the budget. The president made the point today that after the huge Reagan deficits of the 1980s, we actually did get back to balance in the 1990s. We even got back into surplus. He made the point that America's finances were in great shape by the year 2000. Quote, we went from deficit to surplus. America was actually on track, he said, to becoming completely debt-free. And we were prepared for the retirement of the baby boomers. But then what happened? After Democrats and Republicans committed to fiscal discipline during the 1990s, he said, we lost our way in the, de in the decade that followed. Yes. Bingo. Mr. Obama continued, we increased spending dramatically for two wars and an expensive pres prescription drug program. But we didn't pay for any of this new spending. Instead, we made the problem worse with trillions of dollars in unpaid for tax cuts. Tax cuts that went to every millionaire and billionaire in the country. Tax cuts that will force us to borrow an average of $500 billion every year over the next decade. By the time I took office, Mr. Obama said, we once again found ourselves deeply in debt and unprepared for a baby boom retirement that is now starting to take place. When I took office, he said, our projected deficit annually was more than a trillion dollars. And on top of that, we faced a terrible financial crisis and a recession. And what do you have to do in a recession? Like he said before, right, earlier in the speech, in a recession, you are supposed to be able to run a temporary deficit in order to keep the economy ticking. Having to do that itself makes sense. He made the case for that today. But having to do that while starting from an already catastrophic fiscal position that George W. Bush left the country in, that's what does not make sense. That is the disaster. That is true. And that's a good point. And that has been missing from the debate about deficits and the budget. 
just naming that the Bush tax cuts were unpaid for, that the Bush tax cuts exploded the deficit, just naming that, frankly, is a hallelujah moment. That is a victory for math. Cutting tax revenue reduces tax revenue. I know, I know, it's barely even math. It's almost an axiom. But at this point, it is a point that has been almost lost from the debate. And the president saying it today is a good point and one that really should recenter the way that people talk about this stuff. Mr. Obama today confessed to signing an extension of those Bush tax cuts this past December. But he again said that he didn't think it was a good idea. He only did it under duress in order to stop something worse from happening that the Republicans were going to force. Will he let those disastrous Bush tax cuts get renewed again, Mr. President? We can't afford it. And I refuse to renew them again. I refuse to renew them again. Cut that out and stick it to the fridge. Beyond nailing the last Republican president, though, for the disastrous impact of his unpaid for tax cuts, President Obama today nailed the Republican Party for proposing even more of the same fiscally irresponsible, arithmetically challenged tax cut nonsense. House Republicans, he said, are calling for $1 trillion in new tax breaks for the wealthy. Think about that, he said. In the last decade, the average income of the bottom 90% of all working Americans actually declined. Meanwhile, the top 1% saw their income rise by an average of more than a quarter of a million dollars each. And that's who needs to pay less taxes? Again, when you read this speech, you would think he would be fire-breathing here, right? I mean, he's making fire-breathing points. He was not fire-breathing. He could not have been more calm, cool, and collected. He was doing math out loud. Math out loud, but it is devastating math. Listen. That's who needs to pay less taxes? They want to give people like me a $200,000 tax cut that's paid for by asking 33 seniors each to pay $6,000 more in health costs. That's not right. That's not gonna happen as long as I'm president. And that was as wild as the crowd went during the whole speech. Again, this does not sound like barn burning stuff, but the point President Obama is making here is exactly the point that the president's supporters have been waiting for him to make. You almost have to telestrate the arithmetic while he does this. But if you are willing to do it, the impact of what he's saying really can hit you. They want to give people like me a $200,000 tax cut. Okay, stop. Stop. So a $200,000 tax cut. Okay, keep going. That's paid for by asking 33 seniors. Okay, wait, wait. 33 seniors. Do we have an icon for seniors or something? Yes. Okay, three, 33 seniors. Okay, keep going. That's paid for by asking 33, 33 seniors, seniors each to pay $6,000 more in health costs. Freeze. Stop it. 33 seniors pay $6,000 each. The math. Okay, finish it. That's not right. That's not going to happen as long as I'm president. What he is saying is that in order to get his $200,000 tax cut as one of the richest people in the country, right? The way Republicans want to finance that is by extracting six grand from 33 different old people. He is right about that. That is a good point. 
That is exactly what the Republicans are trying to do. They are claiming to reduce the deficit enough to afford this kind of thing for rich people by squeezing that money out of old people and disabled people and other people who this country has historically made a commitment to take care of. Now, whether or not you can telestrate that in your head while he's saying it, it may not have hit you like a ton of bricks when he said it, but the president here is making the case that the Republicans' proposal for America is transferring resources and money from people who really do not have it to spare in order to give a ton of those resources and money to people who are already rich. Good point. And because that is a transfer of resources and not a saving of resources, it not only isn't courageous or brave or serious or any of the other things that the Republicans are getting called right now in the Beltway media, it's not brave or courageous, it's not even those things, it's not even a real plan to reduce the deficit. Oh, and the president said that, too. There's nothing serious about a plan that claims to reduce the deficit by spending a trillion dollars on tax cuts for millionaires and billionaires. And I don't think there's anything courageous about asking for sacrifice from those who can least afford it and don't have any clout on Capitol Hill. That's not a vision of the America I know. It is about transferring money from politically powerless people who don't have much to rich people and claiming that's about the deficit when it is plainly not. That is not serious or courageous. In fact, it is radical and it is something that does not resonate with American values. So said President Obama today. <clears throat> Whatever you heard about this speech, whether or not you believe the way that I am describing it, whether or not you watched it today, I never say on this show, print out and read this thing, or I very rarely say it. In this case, if you have a second, print it out and read it. Print it out, keep it around till you have a minute, spend a few minutes reading it. If you are a liberal, or if you are a centrist, if you are a person who voted for President Obama, if you were worried that President Obama would not confront the Republicans on what they are trying to do with the economy and instead would triangulate against it, Mr. Obama did not do that. If you were worried that President Obama would sell out Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and say we can't afford them anymore, like the Republicans wanted him to say, Mr. Obama did not do that. If you were worried that he would let the Republicans in the Beltway media get away with this bogus assertion that they make constantly that Social Security is somehow causing the deficit when it is not, he did not do that. He, in fact, called that out as bogus today. If you were worried that Mr. Obama would follow the Republican line, that deficits themselves are always evil, that he would ignore the fact that Republicans are the ones who create the worst ones and at the worst times, Mr. Obama emphatically did not do that. I am a liberal. I am a liberal, and therefore I am a professional worrier about Democrats talking smack about what liberals value, and about Democrats trying to sound like Republicans, and about Democrats who are afraid to confront Republicans and who instead ape Republicans' framing about what's wrong with the country, in particular what's wrong about the economy and what our available options are. You know, coming out of this last deal on the budget that President Obama made with the Republicans on, Frank, on Friday night, frankly, this president uh, gave liberals reason to worry all over again. But today, if this is the start of 2012, if this is how the rest of this term is going to go leading up to his re-election effort, if this is how President Obama is going to run for re-election, if this is the way he's going to call Republicans out for what they're for and explain what's really going on in the economy and speak up for his own values and explain to the country why he believes Democrats' values are the right ones on this stuff, then as a liberal, I am less worried than I was. My only worry really at this point is why did he give this speech at 1.30 on a Wednesday and sort of whisper it? With a little fine tuning, I think this one could be a barn burner. I could imagine this one in a stadium over and over and over again.
Jay. This is Sean from Georgia. I was calling. I left a message before uh, saying uh, what I thought would be the resolution to the current budget debacle that we're in. And I didn't receive a statement on the show, so I don't know if I was cut before for time or if you just didn't agree with my statement. But I found it interesting that this weekend on Meet the Press, Alan Greenspan said the same thing that I said, which was that all the Bush tax steps need to be repealed uh, to help deal with our budget debacle. And also to, my suggestion also was to raise the capital gains tax and to also raise uh, taxes on those, an extra 2% on those over a million dollars. That was my suggestion several months ago, but I just thought it was very interesting that Alan Greenspan basically said this weekend what I felt. Uh, it's not going to be done with all tax cuts, which is what the Republicans um, are suggesting. It's not going to be done with tax cuts. It's not going to be done all with spending cuts. But some of it is going to have to be done on the spending cut side and then some on the tax cut side. But I think definitely one of the things that needs to be done uh, so that the but the spending cuts are not so deep is that we um, uh, go back to the Bill Clinton era tax rate um, plus a little extra to fix this issue. Uh, that's all I have to say. And I love the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, Jay. This is Pamela from Virginia calling about the episode for the 20th, which I guess is today. Um, I was listening to the clip from Rachel Maddow about the president and his launching his re-election campaign and then kicking his face in the teeth, to quote her. Um, although there are some things that the president has done and has not done that kind of tick me off, I kind of feel like the Guantanamo Bay thing is something that we should not give him a pass on, but should kind of understand why it hasn't happened. I mean, the trial in New York would be wonderful, except for the fact that everyone in New York in power, so to speak, who was once for it, is now against it. So it's kind of like he was in a catch-22. So I'm not really sure that is all his fault in kicking his face in the teeth. So I think there are some things that we should definitely, you know, get on him about. And I am definitely, you know, not saying that I'm not going to vote for him, but because the alternative is probably way too scary. But I think there are some things that as his base, so to speak, that we picked the wrong battle. And if we were loud about some really substantial things, then maybe we could, you know, change the way some things are done. But anywho, that's um, about how I feel, and I don't want to be too long because I don't want to be made to be a racist, although I love that. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks so much. You've done an awesome job. Keep it up. Hello, Jay. This is Max calling in from the People's Republic of Berkeley. Um, I wanted to respond to one of the comments on the Glenpocalypse show regarding the left and right wing of the American Eagle, uh, representing the left and right wing of the United States. I just wanted to point out that socialists and communists have been a part of the American left wing historically, 
and they continue to be a force in our uh, in our national politics, uh, whether we know it or not. In fact, there are a number of representatives that are indeed declared socialists in our Congress. So I'm not saying that every left winger has to be a socialist or a communist. In fact, there are Keynesians and libertarians that oppose the military-industrial complex that I. I consider to be allies, but socialists and communists are Americans, and a whole lot of them are really good folks that want to see change, and they don't like Stalin. <laughs> All right, take care. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. couple things to talk about today. Uh, first, a rare apology. I, I think generally I don't have much to apologize for, but this time I do. So um, a, a couple of episodes ago, uh, I played a clip from Dan Savage, which I think you know, a very, very understandably, a lot of people had a problem with. Uh, it was a pretty explicit clip. Uh, that's not what I'm apologizing for. I, you know, I, I don't. Uh, as I explained to one emailer who uh, kind of, you know, suggested that I was trying to be edgy and that there are better ways to be edgy. Uh, I, I said, you know, I don't really try to be edgy. I try to be eclectic. I like to use lots of clips from lots of different places. It's a podcast. I'm not regulated by the FCC. You know, I can I can put explicit stuff on the show, and I shouldn't really have to worry about that. The horrible mistake I did make, however, was to not label it as such, uh, and so that's what I want to apologize for. Uh, for you know, for anyone who thinks I shouldn't have used it at all, then you know we just disagree on that, uh, and that's okay. I, I certainly understand why people uh, don't want to hear it, but that's what the fast forward button is for. What was completely my fault was not warning you guys that it was about to come on. So especially for those, you know, I know it's a pretty small minority, I think, but there are people who listen to the show like, you know, on a stereo with other people in the room or kids in the room or they put it on in the car during, uh, you know, carpooling to school or whatever. So uh, so for anyone who experienced that um sort of scenario, then I particularly uh, apologize for, for not labeling it as such. Um, honestly, I intended to label it and then flat out forgot. You know, it, it wasn't a conscious decision like, oh, they don't need to be warned. Um, so obviously, like, no, no good excuse for forgetting to do that. Uh, so that was my bad. The second thing I wanted to say today is just a follow-up on my comments from the previous show regarding, you know, talking about Nazis and what sort of rhetoric we should use in political debate. And, um, you know, I didn't want to get like deeper into that debate because um, as people I'm sure are going are gonna to call into the voicemail line and, and, you know, disagree with me, which they're free to do. What I wanted to add on is that the, the caller from the last show said that the reason, you know, or at least to the, the primary reason he gave for why we should call Republicans fascists is because we've been saddled with the burden of them calling us liberal and making liberal into a bad word. And so we should turn that around on them. And so I had this realization after I had finished the show and thought, well, wait a second, that's there's a much better way to do it, which I should mention, which is 
If they've turned liberal into a bad word, the response isn't then to turn around and call them fascists. The response is to make conservative into a bad word, obviously. So uh, I certainly encourage everyone to use uh, the word conservative in uh, as many disdainful ways as you possibly can. Every time you talk about conservatives, talk about how they're, you know, regressive, backwards-minded people who are opposed to progress in all ways, um, essentially. And that should be thought of as a really negative thing. People who want to go backwards in time, I don't, I don't think the majority of people agree with that sort of thinking. Uh, and so, you know, branding conservative as horribly negative, uh, I think is the way to go. Finally, I wanted to continue to encourage you guys to donate to the fundraiser that I'm helping promote for the New Leaders Council. As I've said before, it's a fantastic organization that uh, is, is helping train the new generation of progressive leaders all around the country. Uh, I'm helping to fundraise for the Chicago chapter, but as I mentioned, it really is a national group. All the money really gets pooled into the same place. So, um, so if you can, uh, well, first of all, if you're in Chicago, definitely come to the event on May 11th. If you're not in the area, still consider please donating five bucks at least uh, to help train, as I say, the next generation of progressive leaders. So details on the event if you're in the neighborhood or just uh, on how to donate if, if you uh, feel so inclined. All that is found at bit.ly slash support NLC, B-I-T dot L-Y, bit.ly slash support NLC for the New Leaders Council. And then finally, I just want to thank a couple of members. Nikki L. signed up for a leftist membership, paid for a full year in advance back on December 15th. And Jonathan M. signed up for a monthly leftist membership back on August 30th and has stuck with the show since then. So huge thanks to Jonathan and Nikki and all the members and donors who keep the show going. Of course, everyone can support the show just by helping spread the word to everyone you know, uh, help spread around our new YouTube clips, the video version of the show. Uh, find those at youtube.com slash the best of the left. Stay connected between episodes and help spread the word to friends online by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. <laughs> Apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Will take you out